Hello, welcome to the Collect podcast from the Crafts Council. In today's episode, we invite you to the second of our Collect Salon series, Craft, a Global Moment, a conversation about the rise of craft internationally. You'll hear discussion and debate from Ivana Demchenska of Flow Gallery, curator Brian Kennedy, and ceramicist Christina Vassini, chaired by journalist Emma Crichton-Miller. Thanks to Ivana and Lisa for hosting at Flow Gallery, and thanks also to Muse Gin for their support. Collect takes place at the Saatchi Gallery from the 2nd to the 6th of February. Buy tickets from www.collect17.org.uk. So the title of this evening is Craft, a Global Moment. So I thought I might just set things briefly in context. Um, Collect, run by the Crafts Council, um, defines itself as an international art fair for contemporary objects. And its scope has always been global, recognising a growing appetite, certainly in Britain, for fine craft from all over the world. Over the last few years, however, craft has become increasingly visible in galleries and art fairs more broadly, on the international stage, at events such as Design Miami, Design Miami Basel, Design Days Dubai, Sofa Chicago for many years, um, the Ceramic Biennials in Korea and Taiwan, Masterpiece Pad and the Art Fairs, Art Basel and Freeze, and even this afternoon, the big Ken Price catalogue from Hauser and Wirth landed on my desk. Um, next year, Trezor Contemporary Craft will launch in Basel, founded by Nadine Vischer-Klein and Anthony Vischer, which suggests altogether a growing appetite internationally for craft. In each of these contexts, each of which defines and situates craft in subtly different ways, artists from around the world have opportunities to reach increasingly knowledgeable and appreciative audiences. But if the market for craft has become increasingly international, with galleries and collectors ranging far and wide in search of work, so too has the making of craft as leading practitioners travel to study, bringing their local inheritances and native sensibilities into the melting pot of ideas and influences of the international stage. So tonight, what we're going to discuss is whether craft, the crafts are at an historic crossroads and what the opportunities might be of the, this way opening up of the world to the delights of high-end craft. We have an expert panel. Ivona founded Flow in 1999 and she represents contemporary craft makers from many countries working in all these different materials, ceramics, glass, paper, wood, textiles, metal, jewellery, um, and the gallery has a strong international profile. Um, Ivona, you also initially developed an interest in craft, I think, when you worked for the marketing department at the Design Council. That's right. I started um, taking groups of British designers at Detroit first <coughs> in America and Germany and in Japan. Um, and then later on, the Crafts Council very kindly asked me to help them with craft <coughs> groups uh, at a, a big show in New York um, called New York Now, when I took a group of 30 craftspeople there. And uh, they've been going there for 30 years, different people, and made a, a huge market for them there. In fact, one of them have moved to LA and um, Polly Wales, who was a jeweller trained here at the Royal College of Art and uh, is doing extremely well. So I think the US market is, is a very important market for craft. Brian Kennedy is an independent curator working predominantly in craft and applied art area. 
working with state agencies, museums, galleries and private collectors. I know that between 2002 and 2010 you curated a series of major shows for the Crafts Council of Ireland. Yeah, I mean, my kind of, I wandered into the craft world from the fine art world and through a conversation about colour. And the first ever show I did was a show called Of Colour and Craft for the Crafts Council, which was me as a fine artist looking at colour as a starting point within people's mm. practice. Um, and that led to kind of maybe eight or ten years of working with the Crafts Council in Ireland. And the job I had as a curator was to kind of remove craft from the craft shop and put it into a gallery environment and mm. to engage in that sort of crossover in terms of of changing not the identity of craft but the placement okay. and I've always been very conscious of like craft has its own identity, its own heritage, its own history and its own values. It doesn't have to become mini art no. and when it tries to it becomes sort of bad art. Yes. Um, it has to be have its own heritage, its own history, its own identity. I think the, the crossword we're at now is I think that's being understood. Okay. Um, by a wider audience, maybe. And then I, I suppose, as finally, just as an introduction, that you're, um, you've been appointed creative director for Trezor. I have. Um, <laughs> Very the Contemporary Craft Fair in Basel, yeah. Switzerland, which will launch next year. Yeah, I and mean, that's an exciting challenge. I mean, Nadine is here down at the back there, who's <laughs> sort of, I suppose, my boss. Um, <laughs> uh, so, what's Wonderful. <laughs> That's mutually bossy, I think. Um, but <laughs> I'm holding my own, I think. Um, the the joy of that is, it actually is coming from a very interesting background because Nadine's background is Sotheby's and is antiques and is that whole collector's market. Her brother's background was being the Swiss partner for Design Miami when it came to Switzerland. And he managed and ran it. So my biggest fear when I started hearing about this is can they deliver a fair? And they can. And they can deliver a fair in a very serious way. And mm -hmm. they are taking what they have learned from, I think, the design explosion. And now that that fair has been sold on to Art Basel, who now own Design Miami, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're looking at a, that, the next growth area, which they think is craft, and I think is craft. And they did a lot of research into what it was they wanted to do with the next fair. And they had a really interesting story yesterday when we talked to Adrian about going to TFAF and the whole team went to TFAF and went around and they were, had ideas about an antique fair like TFAF. And they all independently went around and then met and they all just said what we should do is what Adrian Sassoon is doing. That's the area that's exciting. That's the area that we get an audience. Well, we might discuss yes. that. So I, I know that that will come up later yes. in, yeah. in the conversation, but that's a very interesting thought yeah. to hold on yeah. to, which is what we do. Yeah. What do we do, do we do to make the most of these opportunities mm -hmm. and this evident interest? Yeah. Um, Christina is the maker of some of these beautiful objects that are here. Um, one half of the Italian-Taiwanese um, design partnership Vetsini and Chen. And their work is a marriage of, between your hand-carved ceramics and I think Stan Chen's blown glass. Yes. Um, and your collections are partly functional, partly conceptual. Um, and you make hand sculptural handcrafted lighting. 
Yes, glassware, jewellery, um, <laughs> interior accessories, installations, and so on. Is there anything else we should? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you've come from Italy to be in, in to be educated here in Britain, and that's one thing we're going to discuss. Is why? Yeah, I <laughs> I came to this country in 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, while I was studying fine arts secondary school in Italy, I was I used to come to the UK to study English, and I was struck about the British strong heritage, craft heritage, his quality, his innovation, and his energy, and I did I. I fell in love with clay during my fine art degree in, in Italy, but I didn't want to study clay to become a sculptor or an architect. And that is what I was finding in Italy. I didn't have, I, I, I felt I couldn't study craft as well as here. And that's why that I decided that the space didn't exist. And mm. I'm not sure it does exist at the moment, unfortunately. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Well, we'll, we'll discuss that um, as, we, as we go on. So, the first sort of area I thought it would be interesting to explore was this idea, is craft at a crossroads? How have things developed and changed? And I thought we might draw on your experience, Ivana, um, and how you have perceived the shift in collector interest globally, um, both the interest in exhibitions, bringing artists here, so the interest in Britain in international artists, but also the interest globally in artists from here that you take abroad. Um, yes, I mean, there are two strands, I suppose, of, 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 of our work. Um, we take British artists to um, exhibitions like SOFA in America, in Chicago, and in New York, and uh, we've built up a really nice um, customer base, a really nice collector base there. And when they come to the UK, they would come and visit us as well. Uh, and the type of work we take there is really um, the same, really. We don't pick out any, any different pieces, really, because we are promoting our aesthetic. And I think our aesthetic is um, somewhere, it's difficult to, to put it into words, somewhere between a, a Japanese and a Scandinavian aesthetic. I worked a long time in Japan for a design guru there, Yojira Goto, whose greatest dream was to bring the Conrad shops to Japan. And whilst I was at the design council, I, I helped, him, helped him do that. Um, and I suppose I, in Scandinavia as well, and I think there's real empathy between the two countries in terms of design um, and craft. Um, and I think it's the love of nature, the sort of pared down, um, um, the essence of the objects comes through, I think. There's, there's no unnecessary decoration. So I think this is our aesthetic, and we promote it there, as well as asking artists from Japan or Scandinavia or Germany or the Netherlands to fit in into our aesthetic. <laughs> yes. So I think and that's think how it works. And do you think a greater interest amongst collectors both here and abroad in that aesthetic or in those principles? I think it's quite a niche aesthetic. I mean, mm -hmm. if you go to a craft fair uh, like SOFA Chicago or SOFA New York, which sadly is no longer, um, you do see completely different work to the work that we show. But because it's so different, I think it stands out. And, uh, and people who appreciate this aesthetic are drawn to it. Um, I must say, I, I can only sell work which, with which I'm sort of emotionally engaged, mm -hmm. and I'd find it very difficult to sell 
work that I really didn't like, didn't fall in love with, <laughs> which maybe commercially is, a, you know, it's not very wise, but um, that's me really. And well, it, 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 it gives the gallery its integrity, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, well, Brian, I'm going to toss you the question then of why now, Trezor, why is now this the I right moment? To now is the, I think, there, I think there's lots of reasons. I think the, what makes me hopeful about now is that actually the reasons that it is, the craft is hot now mm. is coming from very different backgrounds. So there's a kind of a convergence on craft. I think people, because of the digital age, are really interested in the hand. They're interested in actually an emotional connection. They're interested in a feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think they find that in a crafted object or a handmade object. Um, they're interested in the idea of making, but I think that has been subterfuge sometimes with, let's show them how making is done, and I don't think they're actually that interested in that, or the people who buy the work <laughs> have, an, they have, they don't need to make it themselves. Mm. They want, you know, it's, it's they want the object that contains that. They don't need to kind of see somebody do it. Okay. Um, is what I mean about that. Mm -hmm. I think there's that need for the handmade, there's need for poetry, there's need for soul, mm -hmm. and that's contained within that. Mm -hmm. um, the art world is moving away from the digital as well at the same time. I mean, I've never seen so many drawings and so many paintings on booths. When I was at um, I think you said art there were more Basel, ceramics. But at like Art Basel, yeah. there was more ceramics than there were videos in the art fair. And what was interesting was that the type of ceramics that was there was probably the type of ceramics that a lot of the design fair and people like that wouldn't show. Okay. You know, it was a much more primitive, primeval kind of energy about it. It's very much about so materiality. Not even that, and not about decorative, it could be widely decorative, but actually very kind of handmade. Okay. It was about the kind of feeling of material and materiality, which is interesting. So, so it's coming from there. You've got now the big players moving in, which is to be exciting. You mentioned the Ken Price show. Hauser and Wart 10 years ago wouldn't have looked at no. anything in clay. Now the, one of the, the top two galleries in the world is having a major show. Oh, the Gagosian wouldn't touch uh, ceramics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and look at Tree's art fair. Yes. Yeah. You know, so, so there's that, there's that level of that. And what that's going to bring is a kind of level of professionalism to the art world that's going to actually terrify, I think, a lot of the players in the art world because they're going to throw they're going to throw the research at it. They're going to throw the writing of books. They're going to actually kind of make it. They're going to do a big job on it. So that's really exciting. They're going to, and I don't think they're going to, people are going to say, oh, they're going to swamp it and steal it. They're not. They're going to actually make it into something that's going to be in everybody's mouths. They're looking at, and what's interesting about the art world is, and this was, didn't happen with design. Design, the, the 80s design boom just was kind of a vacuum. It was about let's get things as high priced as possible, as quick as possible. What's happening with the whole way the art world is looking at it, they're seeing the young artists like um, Sterling Ruby do clay, but they're now looking back at Peter Volkes, who what is where Sterling Ruby came from. I mean, nothing could happen in America now because unless the 70s West Coast ceramics happened, the Ken Price, all of those. So the art world now is moving into those people. They're, they're, they're putting the work into the heritage that everything else can be and built And is that on. then feeding into an interesting contemporary yeah. craft? Yeah, yeah. it will underpin it in a yeah. way that actually that didn't happen with design. Mm -hmm. So the Lucy Reprice is going to £120,000. That's 
that's getting a whole other set of people into the world that are going to really set us alight. So I think that's it. It's, it's coming from three or four zones. So for you, the answer is craft at a crossroads. It's definitely Cra craft is in the middle of the crossroad. Yeah. Okay. What I see is that at the moment, the type of art that people are being drawn towards overlaps with craft. Okay. The type of design that people are excited by overlaps with craft. So craft is the middle now. Well, that's a good point to bring you in, because I think that that was your perception, was there was this ground that you were interested in occupying that wasn't available in Italy or recognised, and so you needed to come to London. And I just wanted to know why you came and what the opportunities the Royal College of Art offered you, because in a sense, you're an example of... Um, I mean, like you go to the RCA and everybody seems to come from a different country. You know, well, that sense of a melting pot of, of, of international people. Yeah, it's true. Well, one of the reasons why I came was also then to, to study, improve, and then later on apply for a master at the mm. Royal College of Art, because the Royal College of Art is really an international melting pot where diversity, creativity, originality just come all together. And artists from all over the world come there and they share the same love for the material. So we are all equal and all passionate about the material. And it's, it's, very, it's very exciting and fascinating to be able to share with other people uh, your skill, your idea and your feedback about the work. And that makes you grow as an artist but also as a person, I think. Mm -hmm. And that has also influenced the way you make and you see things. I don't think I would be the same person and the same artist if I was studying in Italy, for example. Okay, well that's, that's interesting. And I suppose that actually very neatly draws me to my next question, which was that, um, how important do, do we all think um, the different national craft traditions are in the perception of craft internationally? in the sense that you spoke about the, the sort of particular aesthetic of, of Scandinavian and, and, and Japanese crafts. Um, but, and, and are these qualities increasingly irrelevant as makers cross continents and collaborate and collectors assess each work on its own terms? Or are they still of, 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 of value and importance? Um, and I thought I'd start with you this time, just to be fair. Um, and you collaborate um, with Stan. Um, what role in your work do you think your very different cultural backgrounds plays? And, and what has been the impact on your work of studying and making in London? Well, I think this is a question we've, we've always been asked because Stan is from the East and I'm from the West. So every time people think <laughs> our work is about East and West, which is actually not. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that is part of who we are. So definitely there is an influence in, in how we design and how we create that it comes from our cultural background. So inevitably when I design, I put a lot of decoration and very a lot of decorative motifs, maybe that comes from my Italian heritage or just by going and walking around in my childhood in Italy. And then comes Stan, which is like much more clean lines, and <laughs> he starts to just simplify all my design. <laughs> and that is probably why I have chosen to show this. It's a bit like 
then and I possibly. Like <laughs> one much more decoration and one a bit more simple. So that is kind of also the balance then it, we keep in our work. And also the love for the material. Yes. Uh, even though people always think coming from Italy, I should be the glass blower, and he is coming <laughs> from Taiwan, should be the ceramicist. There's the other way around, actually. But then it's also why we love in the material. I think is part of ourselves. No, I have a <coughs> like Italian love for glass and Murano. That's probably in myself, and his love for ceramics. Okay. And it's so it's you part there was already yeah. a sympathy there. Yeah. Yes, but, but we share our cultural background, I think. But it's also influenced from being in London, so also London influenced our so creativity. So in a sense, I these think. objects just could, uh, th they've, they're sort of unique to the particular circumstances. Yeah, mm. yeah, I would say so. And they're rooted in that wonderful accident of, <laughs> of, uh, of, of, your, of you two meeting at the RCA. Yeah. Um, well, Ivona, so I just wondered why it was important to you to go and discover artists in situ and whether that, um, whether you found that collectors enjoyed the opportunity to explore different national craft scenes or whether that's increasingly just irrelevant. Um, well, no, I think it's really important. Um, for one thing, I love travelling, so um, <laughs> dealing with international craft was, you know, perfect. Um, perfect for me. Um, so um, I was always attracted to Scandinavia and Japan. As I've said, I worked for a Japanese sort of design guru for a number of years. And whenever I visited Japan, you know, we looked at ceramics, we ate in Japanese restaurants, obviously, and, and each plate was presented on a beautiful handmade um, uh, dish, um, which you didn't see in England 25, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all the rage now. I think it's reached us here that, you know, restaurants here are, are serving food on handmade ceramics. Um, so that, that was one strand, I suppose. And, 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 and the other thing, which I think, um, I come from Poland, I was born in Poland, and my house was full of, you know, beautiful handmade objects because you couldn't actually buy anything in, in the shops. So my parents commissioned furniture, uh, lighting, textiles, rugs, and I suppose my love for sort of craft came from there. And, um, you know, I came to England when I, in 1971, when I was 13. So I wanted to continue um, this link, connection with international, with European craft as well. And visiting makers in Finland or in um, Sweden or Denmark <coughs> gives you a context of how they work. I mean, there's an amazing um, artist colony called Fiskars in Finland, where there are 120 mm. makers, and they're in the woods by the lakes, mm. and obviously that uh, informs their work. And in fact, we have just, uh, my colleague Cathy Jangrande, who is a, a museum's expert sitting just there, uh, we've just done a tour to Finland where we visited all these makers, about 15 makers and small museums. And the collectors, we had 15 people in our group, six collectors from America, six from the UK, and they really appreciated seeing um, the context, how the, where the work is made, and, and it really made sense to them. It's uh, the sort of qualities of light and the yes. sort of... The, 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 the colours as well, the, the colors, muted yeah. colours, and, uh, mm. um, and just sort of just being you know, near nature and... Um, um, working with very earthy materials, mostly ceramics we saw, which is very strong in Finland, and textiles is strong too. Well, turning to you, Brad, I wondered whether you 
felt that that these sorts of conversations are, 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 are sort of interesting, but that perhaps the driving impulse currently in the sort of craft world internationally is to look at the object for it, in it for its own sake, and to be less. In other words, we've now moved into a situation, as with the international art world, mm-hmm. where artists are international; they cross borders. Their work is original yeah. and unique. Yeah, I think. I mean, I taught in an art school in Ireland, you know, for twenty years, and I was involved in that whole world where students now have a global influence. You know, if you're a student anywhere in any college, you're accessing a library, you're looking at global trends, you're seeing things, you're absorbing them. So you can no longer have a kind of a, a, a narrow stereotype unless that person's been locked up somewhere and seen nothing else. <laughs> you know, so, but what it is, and it, 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 it was one of the things I started working with the Crafts Council. When we went to SOFA first, the biggest problem I had was with the Irish Crafts Council wanting to somehow kind of label it Irish. Um, when actually, it was international. I mean, the work is international because some of the people were, had come into Ireland from other countries, just like you. They'd come from Germany and Nordic countries a lot. So they had brought their traditions. They were living in Ireland. But, but what it was, like you said, it is where it's made influences it. There is an identity within the work which may be Japanese-inspired by an Irish maker, but they're, they're filtering it through their own lens. Yeah. You know, and so it's got a thing. I mean, I did a show that went to New York called Material Poetry, which for me summed up what it was that people kept saying to me at SOFA. And by me showing Irish work at SOFA, I learned what Irish work was about. <laughs> because the Americans were coming on, they kept using that word also about material. We love the approach to materiality. Uh-huh. We love the poetry in the work, you know. And it was that that it came about, that there is a sensibility. Mm-hmm. But it isn't exclusively. There could be exactly the same type of object being made by a Japanese person or a Chinese person or a French person. But there is a kind of a maybe a cast over it which kind of differentiates it. But what I always kept saying to the Irish Grass Council, and I'd say to everybody, is what people were interested in was quality. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, it was that's a good piece of work. Secondary, it is then, or maybe it's an interesting side story, the narrative. But first of all, it's quality. Mm-hmm. It really is about somebody saying something really appeals them, speaks to them. And then they move into the geography of it. But really, they're not buying. I mean, and the trouble with the Irish Cross Council had a period of time where they were kind of thinking it would all be Irish Americans we should be appealing to. <laughs> you know, and the Irish Americans famously don't buy anything cultural <laughs> at all. <laughs> So it was a dead audience. <laughs> so the audience was made up of people who were buying because they loved it. You know, yes. one of the first pieces we sold was Joanna bought a necklace off us. You know, by a Dutch artist who's living in Ireland who made this paper <laughs> necklace bought by an English dealer who I often see her at the fair still wearing it. You know, but she didn't come along and buy an Irish object. She bought a piece of jewellery that she loved. Mm, yes. I spoke to her. Mm. And it's that. It's kind of the geography is sort of secondary. Yes. And more so now. And I think it, looking for that thread is impossible because the education of you and the education of somebody in Cork is probably very similar yeah. in terms of what they're exposed mm-hmm. to, what they look at. You know? So it's, it's, it's global, but there is, I think, local touches. Okay. And that, that sort of brings me on quickly to my final question, which I thought it might be interesting to address, even though we're running to the end of our half hour. 
but um, which is that how has craft's increasing international profile and all the developments you've spoken about affected our understanding of what craft is and what matters about it? And um, I thought we might start with you. Okay. Uh, uh, and um, you know, in selecting objects for a, a, a high-end craft fair, for yeah. instance, like collect and so on, what might be your criteria for inclusion? Are ideas such as the importance of functional materials or process irrelevant to today's audience? No, I think there are different strands. I mean, I just did a big show in the Irish Craft Circle called Days, mm -hmm. you know, and I purposely did it because I think there is a, a feeling now that it's sort of rubbing up against art and everything needs to kind of be globular kind of things. And sculpture is where it's at and it can't be about functional object. And I think that what I was drawn to originally with craft is the functionality and the history of function and how that is constantly reinterpreted and played with. Okay. Um, and you have somebody like um, Alison Britton who's in the show yeah. who kind of said the whole of her life has spent trying to not make a, an object and not make a vessel, but she never escapes it. <laughs> you know, it's always there. It's always part mm. and parcel of it. You can't understand her work without understanding the vessel. And I suppose that brings me to you, actually, Christine, because we had a chat beforehand and you were saying about how function matters to you. And I just wondered whether you worried about how your objects were categorised and what mattered to you about craft, about your craft. Well, I think people like to categorise things. And therefore, a lot of the time we've been categorised as design or sometimes with craft. What I'm, I really want to people to understand is the importance of the handmade and the material mm -hmm. and my attachment to the piece, how I make it, because it's amazing as an artist to be able to create something, to have an idea in your head and be able to, to produce it yourself. So I think it's, it's that what I want people to understand rather and to think rather than more categorise the things for what it is. But, but then of course, I, I like for people to use what I create, not just having it, but if they want to use it as, we use it, I mean, to, to function as an object or function as a decoration, then it's up to them to decide. Okay. And so, Yvonne, I might ask you, in your experience, what are collectors drawn to in, in the work you show and what are you looking for when you travel the world? What is it that's intrinsic? to this very beautiful craft you um, show that distinguishes it from, you know, Yes, as I said, you know, the, the sort of spirituality of it, really. I think an emotional engagement, as Brian said, we're looking for that now with a sort of, you know, away from mass-produced products. Mm -hmm. We're looking for authenticity, we're looking for provenance. We want to know where, the, <coughs> where it comes from and who has made it, and you're really buying a a little bit of the artist's view of the world, I think, if you buy one of the objects. And um, I mean, our collectors are looking for mainly ceramics at the moment, um, and um, it's a variety. I mean, you never know who comes into the gallery and what they're going to buy it. You ju just cannot predict. Um, so it is across the board, really. It could be sculptural work by Maria Christophson, mm -hmm. who um, is fine art based. She studied fine art, first of all, in, in Sweden, and then she did a ceramics course. But she also makes beautiful functional plates, which we're hoping going to use in a, in a new restaurant, a Nordic cuisine restaurant as well. Um, so it's, yeah, I think it's a bit of everything, really. But I think it's very important that the object 
um, is handmade. We know where it comes from. Um, and it's, um, you know, the same is in, I think, we look at food now. People are much mm. more interested in, in uh, food that is grown locally and uh, yes. it's, um, we know its provenance. Well, I'm sure that all of you will also have many questions you'd like to put to this expert panel. So we're now open for any questions so if any, or indeed comments. So if anybody just wants to chip in and disagree with us or with one of the panellists. <coughs> Um, are there any questions at all? Hi, I'm Preston Fitzgerald and I uh, curate collect ceramics and this particular this is for Ivana. Uh, you're coming back to collect for uh, I guess a little bit of an absence, right? Mm -hmm. And what can we expect to see at Collect and what artists can you point them out in the room? Oh wow. The work, oh, not the artist. Well the bit of absence was basically that there was no collect uh, this year and the uh, previous year we were refurbishing the gallery. So, um, yeah, it was quite a stressful year for us. Um, and we're going to have a selection of Nordic ar artists, um, mm. a Dutch artist who works in fibre mm. art, uh, wall pieces by her, and Sue Lorty, who works with wonderful collections of um, pebbles, um, found pebbles, that, that'd be a wall piece. Um, Ava Brandt ceramics, um, who are just above there, Lisa Stockham ceramics, um, Akiko Hirai, uh, Hans Henning Pedersen Wood, so and Annika Jaring Glass, so across all disciplines really. Oh, and uh, Alison Crowther actually benches, sculptural benches as well. And um, yeah, we can sort of accommodate quite a lot of work this time. I'm quite intrigued. Uh, oddly, I found myself writing about a Scandinavian trainers company who have a distinct Japanese aesthetic. And I'm, I'm interested in the relationship between Japan and Scandinavia and how that aesthetic between two countries has grown and why they are related, because they seem so far apart. Um, we did have a show, actually, um, where we compared Japanese and uh, Finnish basketry, textiles and ceramics. And when collectors came into the gallery and looked at the show, they couldn't distinguish mm -hmm. between, you know, the different artists' work. They didn't know which one was Japanese, which one was Finnish. Um, I think it's, I don't know what it is. It's um, the simplicity of, of, of shapes, uh, the love of materials, the love they of nature. That, they? They, if you they ask talk. Japanese people about it or Finnish people about that affinity, they say it's about feeling for those natural materials. Yeah. It yeah. is, and um, I mean, there is a, a Japanese fashion designer whose um, clothes I love called um, uh, Ini Perhonen, who changed his name from a Japanese name to a Finnish name, <laughs> Perhonen, because he felt there was so much affinity with Japanese design. And strangely enough, during the um, Helsinki Design Week, when we were there this September, he had a show in Helsinki, in um, I think it was the Alva Alto Museum, um, and I just love his clothes actually. Yeah. And um, for I came, um, I saw the exhibition of, of his clothes in um, in Holland in a in a fashion museum. I just thought it was you know wonderful. The muted colours, the I don't I don't know. I find it really difficult to put it into words. Actually, it's um, I don't know. What do you think, Grant? How would you? The oh, don't throw the question back. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on. You must have written about I do have another question, actually, which is, 
Um, I was quite intrigued by Brian, your comments about the kind of the Irish and bear in mind our nation that tried to brand sandwich shops, which mm -hmm. I always find an interesting <laughs> thing. Um, one of the, the centerpieces of London, the London Design Festival this year was the Biennale. And I'm wondering, is a craft Biennale of that ilk, based around nation states, something you would encourage? I, I actually would never encourage anything based around nation states. I think it's a kind of, it's a too narrow a way of presenting things to the world. I think it means people jump on cliched kind of preconceived notions. And I think it's much healthier to just talk about work. Um, I think none of us um, ask for where we're born and often our influence aren't from where we're from. So I think it can lead to, it can lead to, I think, Put it this way, I just went to the, the, the Biennale, the Venice Biennale, Architecture Biennale. Wonderful curated um, show this year, immense in the, the curated section. And then you go to the pavilions and 90% of them fall apart because they're, they're worried about their own political agenda, they've got their own reward system for who's going to represent them at this event, which is based on a political thing often or on whoever's the right person or the right theme. So I think it gives you a very narrow view of what's happening in the world. So if you were asked to curate a craft biennale, you would definitely say no? I wouldn't, I would say yes, <laughs> I would say, I would say no, it shouldn't be done by country, it shouldn't be done yeah. that way, you know. And interesting enough, I mean, one time the Biennale tried to break it in Venice where they asked each nation to lend their pavilion to a different nation. And it was a fiasco because, of course, again, it just brought up all the kind of political sort of swapping. You know, I think it's very hard to kind of... There was a very interesting conversation I had in Dublin about something and I said there's a difference between a nation and a state. You know, a nation is something you're born into, geographic. A state is actually what we all live with. And those states have agendas, which aren't often about where the, where the country is or where it came from. It's about the political entity that's there now. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the man who's branded most of the state organisations. He was the branding manager of a creative company. And it was very interesting how he talked about the fact that, you know, the state is a different thing than the nation. So I think Biennale has become about states, not about, about something more interesting. I have a question. <laughs> Do you think in times, we've just had Brexit, um, mm -hmm. it's a political, you know, hot point at the moment. This isn't about your political agenda at all or opinion, but do you think that's going to bring out more national identity from makers? Um, do you think, I mean, Christina, do you, do you feel like you want to show that national identity more um, since in times of like this, or do you think it doesn't really matter anymore? Well, I think we are living in, well, because we are living in London, London is, is a bubble, it's, it's so internationally, so eclectic that we probably, nothing will change much on the world we are living. And because where we've been talking, craft is so international, and I'm Italian, I'm working with Stan from Taiwan, living in London, I don't think it will change. Much. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I suppose that's what you, you would hope. <laughs> yes. That fruitful internationalism yeah. would be sustained. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm interested in historic crafts as it comes from places. I'm interested in things like, you know, now working in Switzerland, I'm interested in the, the, the history of paper cuts, which is a particularly Swedish or uh, Swiss craft. Mm. I'm interested in things like that. And I think there are things historically, I mean, Poland. 
I love the floral patterns of Polish folk art. I love oh, yeah. that sensibility. Mm. I think those, those things are riftable off. But I think you'd probably find some people working from that source that are probably working at it better who are living somewhere else. You'd probably find a Japanese person working with folkish, um, Polish folk art in a better way than maybe somebody in Poland would. The person in Poland might be working with something from Japan in a really interesting way. So I think it's that really interesting thing. It's like the, the, why is Finland and, and Japan similar? That's kind of fascinating in a way. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. I suppose uh, uh, another sort of question might be what do you feel sort of should be done to um, capture and channel this interest and to, and to provide the best support for the artists whose work is drawing this, this attention. In other words, what should happen? Keep showing the work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be buying the work. Yeah, yeah. buying, even I mean, what has to be done is galleries have yeah. to survive and collectors have to buy. Yeah. Our craftspeople, my one aim in life is for every craftsperson to never sell directly from the studio. That's the kiss of death and it has kept the, the market completely flat. We need galleries, we need to in, in, in support galleries and support buying. Buying is what will keep it alive. I think perhaps that's the end and the message is to come to collect and buy. buy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, collect takes place at the Satcher Gallery from the 2nd to the 6th of February. Buy tickets from www.collect17.org.uk.